This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church around the world. I'm Greg Musselman. Reports are coming out of Nigeria that around 200 people, many of them believed to be Christians, were killed during the recent Christmas season. VOM Canada's partner in the United Kingdom Release International has released its 2024 Persecution Trends Report and warns that violence against the followers of Jesus in Nigeria is intensifying along with India, China and Pakistan. And joining me to talk about the Persecution Trends Report is our friend Andrew Boyd. He's a spokesman for Release International. Andrew, great to see you again. Thanks for joining me. It's great to be with you, Greg. Thank you so much for having me on the program. Now, we uh, connected this time last year and we talked about the countries again, that uh, things just continue to intensify. Uh, I mean, we pray that, you know, that would not continue, but uh, we know that God is working in, in many of these nations, which is why we're seeing the increase of persecution. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But before we look at uh, the several countries of concern, again, there are dozens of countries where Christians are persecuted. How do you come up with this information on these countries and how accurate is this reporting? Mm, good question. We have partners, Release International, like Voice of the Martyrs Canada works with partners in particular countries. These are trusted people. They're really good people. They're servants of God. They're accountable for what they do. And we work with them in, in many different countries. So the report's really quite simple. We ask them what's going on. What's it looking like for the coming year? And they report back to us. We compile that and put that into a report. So I wouldn't call it scientific. It's more anecdotal. But these are good people. And they're working in the, in those situations, in the furnace, in the fire, as you might say. They are trusted and they're reliable people. So we're happy to put out what they have to say. They're also consistent in what they're saying. So we've been doing this now for quite a few years. And we're able, you know, it takes three dots to make a graph, doesn't it, to yes, form it to form a trend. So we look at the way the wind is blowing in these countries, find out what is happening. You know, obviously, our good friends at Open Doors are shortly going to be putting out their World Watch List report. That's far more scientific. It's an excellent report, and we totally commend it. Uh, but we do find that what we have to say absolutely ties in with what they're saying as well and with what other organizations such as yourself are reporting around the world. You know, I was just looking at uh, a recent report. We have what's called the Persecution and Prayer Alert. Now 20 years that uh, it comes out once a week and we highlight countries. And the countries that we're talking about today are the most reported from. So we get the most information from Nigeria. I mean, I've been there many times. You have been there. Uh, we both have amazing partners on the ground that are providing reports. Uh, you know, China, Pakistan, India. Again, those are countries where we're getting a lot of information. But in reality, Andrew, there's a lot of countries and nations around the world where our brothers and sisters are suffering, and we just don't hear about those uh, certain situations where they are facing persecution. Yeah, it's true. I mean, even if even with Nigeria, which we report a lot of, much mm. of the national press that I read in the UK doesn't really cover Nigeria. The international press doesn't really cover Nigeria either, because you're focusing on countries that are of particular interest to your own nation. So we're picking up information that others don't have. And yet we know that within Nigeria itself, it's a vast country and it's a vast open space in many areas. An awful lot of the material that we get, a lot of the information we get, uh, we know that there's more going on under the surface. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning reports that some 200 people, mainly Christians, have been killed in Nigeria. 
we cover that story at the same time as our persecution trends report, and yet the death toll continues to rise. I've just spoken to our partners in Nigeria. They say that bodies are still being found in Nigeria, and it's such a huge place. It's so difficult to know exactly what is going on. We're so dependent on people on the ground telling us what is happening. But we're part of an alliance, Voice of the Martyrs, Release International, spread around the world. And many of those organizations, those sister organizations, are covering different countries. So we can depend on one another to keep each other posted. We often use Voice of the Martyrs Canada reports, and I know and I'm grateful that you often use Release International stuff as well. So between us and between the other organizations that are out there too with a similar heart, we, we're pretty well covered. But you could always do with more feet on the ground. You could always do with more video coming out of these places. That's such a premium to really see what is going on, to talk to the people who are going through all of this. You know, as a, as a, a journalist like yourself, Greg, as a filmmaker, the, the standard convention when it comes to making films is you is you have the, the person you're interviewing looking across the camera. Mm -hmm. Well, when I go out, I point the camera at them right. because I want them to look straight into the eyes of their audience so that the audience can say, this is my brother or sister in Christ. I'm looking in their eyes. I'm listening to their hearts. I can tell the authenticity of what they're saying. It's about bearing witness. So, yep, some of it we don't get. What we do get, it's our duty to put out. It is, you know, and, and as you mentioned, you're updating, you know, this story from Nigeria, which will unfortunately, uh, those numbers will grow, but, you know, around 200 people, uh, and like we were doing recently, celebrating Christmas, getting ready for Christmas. And so these attacks, which took place in Plateau State uh, in Nigeria, which is in the center part of the country between December 22nd and Christmas Day, and then also reports that pastors were killed, hundreds of homes were destroyed, swept across several uh, counties. And so we're reporting on this. And, and I know in the past where I've reported on stories, been at Plateau State many times, and then you talk to the widows and you talk to the children that lost their fathers, you know, ladies that lost their husbands or husbands that lost their wives. And all of a sudden, within those 200 number, you know, people that have been killed recently, those are individual families, Andrew. Yeah, that's true. But nothing brings it home more than, as you say, talking to the people. And as you say that, I mean, I was out there a few months back. And we were in an area which is now being attacked again. Yeah. In fact, when we left that area, it was attacked again. So we were talking to people, ordinary people, just ordinary Christian people, but with, with an amazing faith, with an amazing simple faith. You know, and the remarkable thing for me is always something that leaves you when you've reported on a trip like this. I always ask the question, and it's such a hard question to ask, People have lost their loved ones, they've lost their wives, they've lost their children. The, the, the pain is still raw. And I say to them, can you forgive those who did this to you? And you know, without, without any exception, every person I interviewed last time in Nigeria said, yeah, we can forgive because Jesus has forgiven me. And he commands us to forgive. They've got this, you know. I'm not so sure that all of us in the UK have got that in the same way that our Nigerian brothers and sisters or have got Canada, it. Or Canada, or Canada, or America. But they understand it. They understand yeah. at the end of the Lord's Prayer, where God, where Jesus tells us, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
the message is exactly the same. It's to say, he say, he reinforces it at the end. He says, if you don't forgive others their sins, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you yours. It's, you know, the deal is this. If you've received mercy, you have to give mercy. We've received it. We're grateful we've received it and we need to give it. But honestly, it's a lesson to be learned. And it's one that absolutely takes my breath away. And, and the even more remarkable thing than that is that in that area, in Plato's state, where they'd come under attack and we went, we visited their burnt buildings and you, you they show you around their grain stores that have been set on fire. We can see the people who did this. The militants are still there. You can see them and they can see them and they live with them. And yet they choose still to look for the best, to hope for the best, to trust in God and to be faithful to God and forgive. They're truly breathtaking. It is. And, you know, when I'm doing interviews and getting, you know, the story, because every story is different, but that aspect of have you been able to forgive those that did this? And, uh, you know, I've had some were saying, well, we're still in the process, or this has been difficult, or I know what Jesus said, but my heart is just grieving for my, the lost loved one. You know, my mind says yes, my heart says no, uh, but God continues to work. And one of the things I think we always need to remind, you know, Christians in the West is that they're no different than us. They have the same dreams. They're just in a different difficult place. And just because there's lots of violence doesn't mean they ever get used to it. It's a difficult, difficult situation. So, Andrew, on the persecution trends report, uh, the persistent killing of small groups and individuals, uh, it's spreading, you know, not only in the north. We've seen all those stories, uh, you know, southern Kaduna, of course, that's a northern state. You've got Benaway, you've got Plateau State, which is, I say, more in the middle. You've got Taraba State. Uh, and these attacks, Andrew, they're coming not just from one militant Islamic group, but it's coming from many. So we all know of Boko Haram, for example, and in Boko Haram's words, they want the whole of Nigeria to become an Islamist state. Alongside them is Islamic State, West Africa province. There are other groups as well. But the biggest menace that's rising up now are radicalized Fulani militants. And the Fulani is a huge tribe. It's It, it goes, spreads way beyond Nigeria. And by no means are they all radical. By no means are they all no. Islamists. That's right. But there's an is Islamist element within there. There is a Fulani militia, heavily armed, and from their tactics, very, very well trained. And at times we see evidence that they're using heavier military equipment, which suggests that they're being supplied that. We're not just talking about herdsmen here. We're talking about a militia. Right. And these yep. people are attacking the villages. So in the latest attacks, in, in typical Islamic style, Islamist style, they warn the villagers ahead of the attack. Now you'd think, why do they do that? That's that's their that's their approach to it. It's partly to cause terror. But they warn the villagers ahead of the attack. And, and we're getting reports right now that more villages in the same area that have just been attacked are receiving these letters of warning. Now, one attack very, very recently was headed off, thank God, by the security services. But from my own experience in Nigeria, those security services seem at times to be incredibly lax yeah. in what they do. But, you know, to go back to your question, uh, your point about is it spreading, if you look back in time to the 19th century, there was a jihad in Nigeria. as the Dan Fodio Caliphate that was being established in Nigeria. And the attacks swept down through the north and they got halted at Plateau State. Right now, the front line is in exactly the same place as Plateau State. But we also see that militant groups are now spreading south of that 
in Nigeria, closer to Abuja, there is a security problem across much of the country right now. And a part of that seems to be because there is a powerful Islamist element, even at work within the security forces, mm -hmm. certainly within the north of the country. And there, there are suggestions that at times the security services turn a blind eye to what is happening, which is terrible. It is terrible. And, and as you're listening or watching, we have done a number of interviews about Nigeria. We have videos as well on the Voice of the Martyrs website at vomcanada.com. Uh, you can hear from some of these widows and some of our partners that are working in Nigeria. Uh, interviewed recently John Joseph Hayab, who is with the uh, Kaduna a Christian Ministers Association, and he's doing an amazing job. And, and to hear the stories, it's heartbreaking. But also hearing what God is doing in the midst of persecution. I had a chance to meet uh, Reverend Hayab when I was in Kaduna teaching the theology of persecution discipleship and to meeting uh, these pastors, Andrew, that have gone through persecution. It was extremely humbling for me uh, to be in the same room with these brothers and sisters that have gone through so much. So again, Nigeria is a country we'll continue to pray for. Uh, again, we have to remember that God is working in the midst of all the violence, and we're not glorifying, as we prayed before we come on here, uh, to glorify what the enemy is doing. We want to glorify what God is doing, and because he is working, that's why we're seeing uh, the situations and persecution in Nigeria. Uh, again, we could talk a long time about Nigeria, and we will continue to do that here on Closer to the Fire podcast, but let's move now to India uh, and uh, they're heading towards a very important election coming up in 2024. Uh, violence against Christians there is growing. Uh, we see the videos. It's interesting, those that are actually doing the persecuting, recording these attacks and then putting it on the Internet as a, you know, as a way to intimidate Christians saying, hey, if you're going to continue to do this work and telling people about Jesus among the Hindu population, this is what's going to happen. Now, your partners uh, in India with Release International warning uh, that there's going to be an increase if this Hindu government, the BJP, gets another fresh mandate. Uh, explain, Andrew, why you think that's happening. And by the way, we also must remember that it's not just Christians, but other religious minorities that are also under uh, attack in that country of India. Including Muslims and Sikhs and even Buddhists where they are, they're also under attack in India as well. So this is not a it's not primarily a political issue here it's a social issue it's a cultural issue so within india itself we've seen a growing trend towards something called hindutva and hindutva is the philosophy that if you are indian you need to be hindu india is for the hindus yeah and if you've looked at the film uh, slumdog millionaire you see an extraordinary presentation of the attacks that are taking place yeah. by the by the hindu majority by the militants though that is against muslims in that particular case well the same thing is happening much of the time the same thing is happening also against the christian community in india so you have what's you have a combination here of religion and nationalism a religious nationalism that's taking place so the bjp is a nationalist party and the bjp has allied to it a number of very radical militant groups, militant Hindu groups. Now, it's not necessarily the BJP that's causing the trouble, but their acolytes, if you like. And it's usually the acolytes, the zealots, the followers of right. these groups that are the real troublemakers. So we've been seeing that since the rise of the BJP, they came to power in 2014. The number of attacks against Christians and others 
in India has been increasing. And the BJP was returned uh, with a mandate. Those attacks have continued. It's election time now in India. Our concern and the concern of Release International's partners is that if the BJP is re-elected and they're on a roll at the moment, then it just further reinforces this cultural imperialism that's taking place within India, this religious nationalism, which is often expressed in violence. And the, and the, the worst example of it recently was such an eruption of violence. It was in Manipur, and that's in northeast India. That happened in May 2023. And what happened there was that uh, a, an extraordinary attack took place on a Christian community there. 175 people were killed in this attack. Around 300 churches were burned down, according to Release International sources, and some 60,000 people, that's a lot wow. of people, were driven out of their homes in Manipur. Now, you asked earlier, what about what about how do we report these things? Well, outside of Manipur and in, in the more localized areas and the more rural areas, persecution has been continuing, not in quite such a dramatic way, but it's meant that Sunday services, church has been burned down. Pastors haven't been able to hold Sunday services. One pastor's having to conduct all of his services by telephone because there's nowhere, nowhere to meet in all of that. Uh, and the threats and the persecution are spreading out as ripples from Manipur itself. So this is this is the worst of what we've been seeing in India. But as we said earlier, you know, it takes three points to plot a trend. You you can look at one incident and say, well, does that come out of nowhere or did it come from somewhere? And if it came from somewhere, where is it going to? And what Release International's partners have been saying for a long time is that the number of attacks against Christians is increasing is increasing quite dramatically within India. So we see this continuing. And one of the things which is just so alarming and strange is that when you go to India, you find that most Indian people of goodwill have no idea what is going on. Yeah, and yes. they don't even believe it. They don't believe it. But as you said just now, this latest attack, the, the militants themselves videoed it. Mobile phones everywhere. They put it online, not just to intimidate, but to celebrate what they were doing. We can see the churches burning. We can see the furniture being thrown out of the windows. Release International's partners went there in the immediate aftermath of it. The look on their faces as they saw what had taken place, they were lost for words. They were struck with grief. So we can see what is going on. And, and Release International's message to the Indian government is to please be aware, please open your eyes to see what is happening here amongst your Christian minority, and please prevent this from happening because it's within your gift and within your power to do so. And what is happening is undeniable because those who are doing it are filming themselves as they do it. Yeah, it is uh, terrible. You know, when you see those videos, and as you mentioned, it's not just intimidation, but it's celebrating and. And it is interesting that even within the country, there's people go, no, this isn't really happening. And then, of course, when you talk about it in Canada, uh, there's there's just no understanding of what's happening. If, and what I often will say on these 
you know, podcasts or on television or whenever speaking in churches is we can contact our members of parliament in Canada. Now, we know right now the Canadian government, because of assassination of a Sikh in Vancouver, uh, things are a little bit tight because the Canadian government believes that uh, the government in India actually silenced this leader uh, as they're looking for an independent state in India. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't do anything. Of course, prayer is the most important thing. And then also supporting ministries like Release International, the Voice of the Martyrs, Open Doors, and others that are bringing attention and bringing help uh, to our brothers and sisters. Because often it's, you know, with the legal system of defending our brothers and sisters that are, you know, often falsely accused. And, and a big part of that, Andrew, is this anti-conversion law, uh, which is happening like, not only I think it's about 13 of the 28 states, but it is increasing. Yeah, it's hard to know exactly how many states because these laws come and go and some of them are called anti-conversion laws and some are not. The figure that we've got is 12, but you might be right with 13. Yes, it is increasing. And what's happening is that there's a national move. There's pressure to suggest that there should be anti-conversion laws across the entire country. Now, that has not got a lot of head of steam behind it. But given the culture there, that kind of movement of movement is growing. And these anti-conversion laws, actually, you know, when we call them anti-conversion laws, they tend not to call them that. On the face of it, they sound almost reasonable because the laws typically, and they're all different, they say this, look, if you're going to convert somebody by force to another religion, if you're going to convert them from Hinduism, that's illegal. Well, okay, I don't think we'd bat an eyelid at that. No, we people bribe, can come to Jesus by their own free will. There sure. should never be coercion. And I think uh -huh. we even the distinction between, you know, evangelizing and proselytizing are very different, right? Well, it ought to be very different, but here's yeah. the rub. It isn't very different. You see, the other restriction that these laws say is if you bribe somebody to leave their faith, that ought to be legal. Again, you know, you wouldn't, you'd say, okay, reasonable, but the moment you start as a church providing any kind of charity work right. or relief aid, well, that's bribery. You talk about you'll go to heaven if you give your life to Jesus. Hey, that's bribery. You might even say, you know, we're all going to be accountable to God. We're all going to come under judgment. Well, that's force. So the problem is that, that those who are bringing in these laws actually want them to be a catch-all. That's the intention behind these laws. It's an intolerance towards any kind of converting of Hindus. And it only works one way. It's a one-way street. You're perfectly free to convert from Christianity to Hinduism by any means, you know, bribery, force, coercion, anything. That's not a problem. These laws are only a one-way street. So, And they're being interpreted in such a way that any kind of Christian work, even a prayer meeting, prayer meetings are being broken up yeah. on the basis of anti-conversion laws. How could that be? Are they suggesting that when we pray for people, we're bribing people or we're forcing them? No, it's just because they're completely intolerant of the work of Christians within those communities. And, and there is a brutal beating going on of Christian partners and Christian communities. It's, it's shocking to see. I remember you showed yeah. on one of your podcasts not that long ago the extraordinary attack on uh, Christian, uh, Christians in a, in a look like a rural area. I saw women there just standing there and taking a beating completely calmly, completely passively, standing in their faith and just taking the beating. It's dreadful. It is dreadful. And again, we need to be reporting on these stories. I've shown actually that video 
uh, of that particular lady being beaten with this rod as she just stood there. And, and I was actually talking to a pastor from India about this. He said it reminded him of how Jesus ju just took the punishment. And uh, there's some amazing believers in Jesus that are so brave and so strong. Of course, there are others that are struggling. Uh, they don't understand why these things are happening, which is important that they have an understanding of what the Bible teaches about suffering for righteousness. Now, again, we report on these stories, but Andrew doesn't stop there. Release International is practically helping in countries like India. So what are some of the things that you're doing there uh, to strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ that are going through these incredible trials? Well, we work with partners in all of these countries, and they all tend to do different things. In fact, some of our organizations share the same partners but support different projects. So it's great when that happens because it means that there's more, more support coming in. Uh, one of our partners, and I can't name them for their own safety, is providing legal support. And that's really important. You've got people who are being challenged under the anti-conversion laws. But um, here, here's an example. You know, these stories only really come home to you when you get it down from 200 killed, for example. I can't see that as too big. Or persecution, which is too abstract, down to, down to the shape of a single human being. So we're going, we're talking about India here. So in Manipur, there was a young girl. She's a teenage girl. And her parents said to her, you can't stay here. They're going to come back. Anything could happen. Yeah. Christian, you, you've got to leave. You're going to have to go. Take your brother, take some friends and just go. So this young girl, and her name was Thumlima, her brother and two of her friends, they walked with the clothes on their back and whatever they could carry. They walked 1,700 miles. Wow to Hyderabad in India, 1,700 miles. These are kids, wow. okay? And they arrived at the home of the office of Release International's partners, who I can't name. And the partners said to us, you know, when they came to us, they were filthy. They were they were hungry. Their, their little leather sandals had worn out completely through. The soles had completely worn out through all of this walking. So we cleaned them up. We fed them. And we're taking care of them. And they're, they're now looking after them. And they gave them medical treatment. Obviously, they're doing a lot more than that. But it's but this is compassion in action. And I think that um, God is love. We know that. That's who he is. It's not what he does. It's who he is. And when we it pray, is. when we care enough to pray and let the Lord touch our hearts enough with these stories of people, not situations that are too big, but stories of single people like Thumlima, yeah. Then we can begin to care. Then we can begin to pray. And prayer is love in action. And for some of us, God's going to put it on our hearts to do more than pray. Praying is so important. It is. But he's going to say, well, maybe you could contact your MP. Or maybe you could provide. Maybe you could support one of these partners who's working and, and giving their lifeblood in some cases. Incredibly brave people, especially in Nigeria, who, who, is, who, who are laying down their lives to support. Well, we can do that. The projects that we have and the project, the projects that you have at Voice of the Martyrs need support. So if God lays it on your heart, support, support yeah. Voice of the Martyrs Canada, support your local heroes here. <laughs> well, and, and I would say the same to Release International and all our partners. And one of the beauties, uh, and, and all organizations work differently, but uh, we have partners on the ground, people that we trust, 
and people that we know that are accountable to us. And of course, in Canada, uh, we have some pretty strict guidelines when it comes to, you know, organizations that we work with when it comes to giving tax receipts and all those kinds of things, uh, being audited on a yearly basis to make sure that, you know, the money is going where we say it's going. And so uh, integrity, you know, again, first before the Lord and, uh, you know, our partners that are that are helping us in Canada, uh, we refer to the, those that give to the ministry as partners as well, because we're all in this together. And uh, that's so important that we get these uh, projects going and helping our brothers and sisters. And as you said, Andrew, bringing it down to that one individual, because it's easy uh, to get overwhelmed. And I know I've been overwhelmed, but I go, at least we can do one at a time. It's like even where I live here in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, serving those that are in tent cities, the homeless, those that are struggling. We can't help them all, but we can help some. And that's how we have to look at it as God guides us. And again, when you talk about prayer, it's the Holy Spirit then activates us to get involved. Um, let's now move to Pakistan. Uh, so, you know, last August in Jiranwala, we saw the video, a horrible situation. I think at least a couple dozen churches were destroyed. Uh, 80 houses were burned. Um, persecution is getting worse in Pakistan. Again, I read the stories often about these young Christian girls that are kidnapped, they're sexually assaulted, they're forced into Islam, forced into marriage. It's a horrible situation. Many of our brothers and sisters in Pakistan have very little resources. Again, that's where we come in to try to help when, you know, to get these girls back to their families, get them counseling when they're rescued and continue to put on pressure until they are released. There's so many brokenhearted families there. But and again, a lot of this is happening as well because of these blasphemy laws. Christians are falsely accused of that. I mean, they're getting hit in so many different areas, whether it's the blasphemy, uh, you know, laws and charges that they said something against Muhammad or the Quran. Uh, or the kidnapping of the girls, the, the Christians there. And, and I get many requests on Facebook, please bring us to Canada. You probably do. Those that want to come to the UK, I've got pastor friends from Pakistan in Canada. They're overwhelmed. I understand it. And things just seem to be getting worse and worse in Pakistan. It's a little, as you said earlier, we're, we're talking about India. Uh, is it a political thing? No, it's a cultural and religious thing. And at its core, at its heart, is intolerance. So within Pakistan, Pakistan has blasphemy laws. And, you know, hands up, who started that? Well, actually, the British Empire started that as a way of trying to keep the peace in Pakistan. We also had our hand in what's going on currently in India. Hmm. Uh, God forgive us for, for, our, for our meddling in all of that. But... um. But what you have is intolerance. And and where intolerance has given a legal platform, as it has been with the blasphemy laws, and it is being with the anti-conversion laws in, in India, it isn't an end to anything. It's the beginning of something worse. Yeah. Because it just is like pouring fuel, petrol, on the fire of intolerance. It just goes, and up it rises. So Pakistan has its blasphemy laws. And uh, in theory, um, well and and in well and in practice actually they are effectively a death penalty because what happens is never mind what the law does if somebody accuses somebody else in pakistan of blasphemy it's a death warrant what happens is and you've covered these cases i know you have and i've covered many of them that uh, that somebody is accused of blasphemy sometimes just to settle a, a score there may be an argument with a shopkeeper for example so in order to, to take it out on them, in order to take them out, you cry blasphemy. 
you put an accusation of blasphemy out there. And what happens is that people are then dragged off by the police. They may even be killed ahead of it, but they're dragged off by the police. If the, the police stations themselves are sometimes intimidated by a mob baying for their blood. It then goes to a local court. The militants pack out the local courts and intimidate the judges. Can you imagine trying to trying to give a fair hearing when you've got militants packing out your court, bang for blood? It's almost impossible. So the judges find them guilty, and they then it then goes up to appeal. And this takes years. Sometimes people can find themselves on death row, like Asia Bibi did. Yeah, and and it can take years and years. And even if those local courts acquit them and say, "Come on, nothing's happened to you. You've got no evidence, no proof." then the people will go out on the streets and they're gunned down by vigilantes. One case that I covered was in Germany, actually, of a couple of Pakistanis who had been accused of blasphemy. One of them was a kid. He'd been four, he was 14 years old when he was accused of committing a blasphemy. It came about because he had a row, a squabble with a mate about some homing pigeons that these guys keep. And one guy said, it's my pigeon. The other guy said, no, it's, it's my pigeon, it's my pigeon. One of them was called Salamat Masih. The other one was a Muslim. And the Muslim guy, the young boy, went off to his uncle and said, this kid has taken my pigeon. And the next thing you know, Salamat Masih is accused of blasphemy. He's accused of scrawling a blasphemy on the side of the mosque. So it goes to court. And they said, did you do this? He said, no, I didn't. And I can prove it. How can you prove it? I, I can't even write my name. I'm illiterate. How could I have done it? So he's acquitted. Three of them, his uncle and another, they come out of all acquitted. They come out of court and they're gunned down by vigilantes who are taking the law into their own hands. Two of them survived, including Salmat, and he ended up uh, seeking asylum and getting asylum, thank God, in Germany. But this kind of thing is happening all the time. So that if you want to take out a people, you want to take out a Christian community, just cry blasphemy and the mobs will cut loose. And in Jaramwala and elsewhere, I've covered, come across this before, they hear the cries going out on the mosque loudspeakers. They hear that the mob is coming. And in this case, they heard they were coming and they fled, which saved many, many lives. Yeah, it it's heartbreaking when we hear those stories. Um, and again, the blasphemy law uh, was initially... Uh, like the anti-conversion laws to protect people of all religions. Same with the blasphemy law in that's now in Pakistan. Uh, but of course, they're being perverted and used against Christians for the most part and, and other minority groups as well in these nations. But Andrew, when you look at what's happening uh, in Pakistan, uh, you know, Christians losing their jobs. We talked about the girls uh, being kidnapped, uh, you know, kids being bullied in their schools, if they're even in school. And again, I can understand. I'm a father. I have three daughters. I have a son. I've got granddaughters now. And if I was in Pakistan, I'd want to be leaving. I'd want to come to Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, America, wherever, where there could be some safety. But we know that the light of Jesus needs to shine. So we get in kind of this position of like, well, we want you to stay to share the gospel that people would find out about this hope in Jesus to find out how you can spend eternity with God. I mean, that's the bottom line of what it is to uh, to follow Jesus, not only get into heaven, but to serve him while we're here. How do we navigate that, or do we even try to navigate that? Well, you know, I, 
that's a tough old one, but I think the scripture is unclear about it. Jesus himself said, when they persecute you in one town, flee to another. But there are times it's, it's down to your calling. You need to know what your calling is. I, I would never advise, I would never dream of advising anybody as to what to do, whether to stay or whether to leave. We just have to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and we have to live without fear. That's the hard bit. That's the really tough bit to actually choose not just to listen to what is going on in our guts, which for most of us would, would be to say, get out, except mm -hmm. I have everything here. Everybody and everything is here. How can I go? So you end up in a turmoil. But but the scriptures are unclear about it. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. You will. But take heart. And that's what we need to learn to do, to take heart. And for me, take heart because I've overcome the world, Jesus says. So for me, I, I, I never cease to be amazed at the authenticity of faith and courage that I encounter when I speak to my persecuted brothers and sisters, the strength of their faith. And and you and you you must find the same, Greg, that when you travel and when you report, you think, what on earth would I do? Yeah. I have no idea what I would do. I don't know what I would do. I, I don't have any illusions about my, <laughs> my courage yeah. in all of these. I don't know what I would do. But I do know that these people who've gone through this fire have a message for us. I yeah, know when you look at the scripture, it is uh, really we see in the book of Acts, and I've talked about this before in the podcast, is that there are various ways that we can respond to persecution. Uh, sometimes it is to stay, and many of our brothers and sisters have told us they're staying because God wants them there. Others are staying. We have to stay because we have nowhere else to go or we don't want to go. Uh, you have others that flee and go to another place. The scripture talks about and spread the gospel. And there's also the fighting part of it, meaning in the courts. So there's various ways to do that. And I know uh, when I've taught the course and what Glenn Penner through his book in the shadow of the cross, which really laid out this theology of persecution discipleship is what is the best for the kingdom of God? And the reality is because we're humans, uh, sometimes we we panic and we don't always maybe think about that. We're thinking about the safety of our children. And I understand that. And uh, and that is a difficult question. And and I and you've probably been asked this as well. And I know I have, and people with various Voice of the Martyrs and Release International teams around the world is, well, I don't know if I could go through that kind of persecution. Well, the reality is you won't know until that moment. And then the Lord's grace and his spirit, uh, that's what gets us through these things. Uh, we're going to just talk briefly about China. Um, I recently had Bob Fu on the program. Uh, he is the founder and president of China Aid, a wonderful guy and doing amazing work. But one of the things that he said to me, and I thought this was really profound because we think of what's gone on in China. Yes, the church growth has been phenomenal, but the persecution is getting worse. And Bob said it's the worst persecution in 40 years. And Andrew, that's saying something. Yeah, it really is. Bob Fu is our partner too at Release International. We love him. He's doing an absolutely fantastic job. And Bob has said often that persecution in China is as bad as at any time since the Cultural Revolution. Those are the days of Mao Zedong. And you can remember the, the, the films that came out of China of people being paraded through the streets there. The big difference is that today China is a technological superpower. It's leading the world in surveillance technology. And that surveillance technology is increasingly being powered by artificial intelligence. And what that means in practice 
is that if you're running an official recognized church within China, that doesn't mean they like you, it just means that they tolerate you, then there are going to be surveillance cameras on your pulpit filming the congregation. And these are face recognition cameras. They're logging everybody. What I, you know, I, I was in another country, I actually can't name it, okay. not that long ago, and they put an app on your phone before you can even get into the country. And that app monitors everything you do while you're in that country. Everything. You've got a phone with you? Of course, we will have to have phones with us now. It monitors every step you take. Everything you say even could be monitored when your phone is off. Now, China's leading the world in this technology, and it's exporting it across the world to other authoritarian nations that, that look at what is happening in China and say, yeah, we want a piece of that too. So China is a deeply worrying place. You've got two kinds of church in China. You've got the church that is state-recognized, the Three Selves Church movement, and that is one that is tolerated by the state, although they've been pulling down crosses yeah. and requiring all kinds of things of their churches, including appointing pastors, telling them what to preach, forbidding anybody under the age of 18 to go into those churches. If you can cope with that as a Christian, and some do, then there are those places you can go to. If you cannot put up with that, then there's the underground church. And with the underground church now, China's increasing its laws. It's bringing in anti-espionage laws and using those against Christians, accusing them of undermining the state and undermining the Communist Party, accusing pastors who say, let's take up an offering now yeah. of fraud just for taking up an offering. Anybody that contacts an organization outside their country, you know, maybe like yours or maybe like mine, they could be accused of spying within China. It's a really, really tough place. And censorship is going to, you can't even meet on Zoom. You know, we're talking on Zoom and thank God for the technology. Yeah, You can't do that in China. You, you can't even mention the name of Jesus on the internet in China because it's an attempt to clamp down on on everything. Our partners, Release International's partners, talk about the securitization of everything. Yeah. The policy that they're 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 pressing through now is something called sinicization or sinicization, which is effectively making China more Chinese. And this is a Communist Party-led thing. And that means you've got a cross up there. That's not Chinese. That's got to come down. We need to put pictures, not of not of Jesus inside churches. We need posters of the Communist Party leaders within churches. It has to be more and more Chinese. It's more and more coming under this extraordinary control. We need to watch China. We need to watch Hong Kong as well, because what happens on mainland China happens in Hong Kong too. And let's let's really keep our eyes open about what China is doing, because so much of it just gets under the radar. It does. And, and one of the things that Bob was saying, Bob Fu of China Aid, is that the underground church is not so underground anymore because of the technology, the tracking of people and, you know, all that they're doing, distorting the Bible, uh, you know, forbidding, you know, Christian children to be taught about the Bible. And you think, how can the church even exist under this? Because we know uh, as frail human beings, how much can we take? And yet the church continues to grow by the millions. And it, you know, according to some of these secular organizations within the next 10 years, and just even talking to Bob Fu about this, the church in China could be somewhere around 200 million people. There's more Christians in China than members of the Communist Party uh, in the midst, of, it's it's unbelievable, Andrew, that 
the church can grow under such extreme conditions. And I mean, we look at other parts of the world and even in history, North Africa, the, you know, Christianity was just about leveled and, and uh, disappeared. I mean, there's always been a remnant, of course, we see that now starting to change, you know, in North Africa, but the church was not strong at that point. The church in China, especially the underground church, and even some in, within the government churches, they feel like God has called them to be there, uh, continues to grow. It's it's absolutely phenomenal, but they continue to throw all these things at them, and it becomes so difficult. Uh, and it doesn't look, and again, with your persecution trends report, uh, things in China are not going to get easier. Uh, President Xi Jinping, uh, you know, you talked about, you know, his ideology, you know, his his version of what it is to be Chinese and Christianity doesn't fit into that ideology, which is one of the reasons the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, uh, you know, legally cannot be uh, preached there because it goes against their ideology. But when you look at what is happening there right now, um, how can we best pray for China in the midst of everything that they're going through? Can I answer that in a very roundabout way, Greg? Can I answer that by talking about Iran? Sure. Because there's some discussion as to which is the fastest growing church in the world. Is it China? Is it in China or is it in Iran? I don't know. Um, <laughs> who knows the figures? Okay. Who knows the figures? But what I do know is that persecution extraordinarily concentrates the mind. I don't know if you, I'm going to go really around the houses. I don't know if you saw the film sure. Barbie, but there's a song at the end of Barbie, which says, what am I, what, what am I here for? There's this cry at the end of the film. What am I here for? And if you're in a society which is persecuted and tightly controlled at every level, you're saying, why am I here? What's this all about? And we see in Iran, for example, where there's so many protests taking place about the repression of Iranian citizens, the women who are forced to, to to cover up in a way that they many of them do not wish to cover up. But the protests that have been taking place on the streets, the gassing of girls' schools in Iran, what on earth is going on in that country? And people are saying, what am I here for? And for, for those who are encountering Christ and across Iran and across the Muslim world, they're encountering Jesus, not through evangelists, but through dreams and visions. This is happening on such a regular yeah. basis. They're encountering the living God. They have no doubt that what they've seen and what they've felt is real. They don't understand it. Then they encounter Christians who lead them to the one they've already met in their dreams. I know this is weird, but it's extraordinary and it really is happening. So we're seeing in Iran, the church in Iran itself, the underground church in Iran, is rising. And Iranians, where they've fled across the world, the Iranian diaspora, so many of them are turning to Christ again through dreams and visions. You know, you can, you yeah. can shut up the internet in China. You can imprison all the evangelists in China. You can distort the Bible in China, but you're not going to be able to get inside people's heads when they dream at night. Yeah, so nothing is going to stop the spread of the gospel. You know, Release International's partners say with China that the goal is, and I'm going to quote them, the goal is to eliminate Christianity within China altogether. I'm sorry, I have news for you. <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> Gates of hell will not prevail against the church. No, it's, uh... no, no, the church will be there well after the Communist Party has 
long forgotten. Yeah, and we have to have that. I think we keep that eternal perspective. And, you know, as you're talking about Iran, I met a pastor named Seed Pakniak, and he's now in Toronto. He's from Iran, Muslim background. And they have seen hundreds of people coming to Jesus in the Toronto area, in Montreal, Farsi-speaking people. They are so open because they've, you know, living under a, a regime that has not delivered on what they promised this this utopia Islamic state. It hasn't happened. And so God's spirit is working around the world. Man, we could talk about Afghanistan. We could talk about Eritrea, some, you know, these other countries that are on the list, uh, you know, in terms of, of the way that things are going. Uh, you mentioned Iran, North Korea. Uh, what I'm going to do, Andrew, is I'm going to put uh, the persecution trends report. I'm going to put a link there and people can find out what's going on. And I could also encourage you as you're listening and watching to go to vomcanada.com and there's what's called the uh, global persecution. You click there, you can find out about all the countries that we're talking about. Again, the most important thing that we can do is to pray. And, uh, and, and that's something that we just can't underestimate. You know, I, as I've traveled, I know you have Andrew as well, and many of our partners, when we say, okay, we're going back to Canada, what can we do? Yeah, we need Bibles. Uh, we need help here. We need food. We need supplies. We need education. All those things. Yes, absolutely. But the number one thing is to pray. And as we pray, Holy Spirit gets a hold of our hearts and maybe asks us to do something beyond praying. Again, it's the most important thing. We don't diminish that. But then out of that, we respond in a practical way. So, Andrew, could I get you now to be praying for the countries that we've talked about and and as the Holy Spirit leads you, and uh, we'll join together and uh, coming before our great God. He's the one that is in control of the universe. He sees all that's happening. We know that from the scripture. We know at the end that Jesus is going to return. All this pain, suffering will end. But before we get there, we need to continue to be faithful in serving our persecuted family. Yeah, thank you, Greg. It'd be an absolute privilege to do so, and you might have to shut me up if I go on for too long. That's okay, brother. <laughs> Father God, Jesus, you won the victory on the cross. Mm -hmm. You defeated death. Well, what more is there to do? You defeated the enemy who brought death into this world. Lord, you've done it all. You've defeated, you defeated death. You defeated the enemy. You are victorious. But Lord, your word says to us, oh, I'm going to quote from the old version. It says, tarry till I come. Just wait with me. Wait with me. Wait with me. Hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. And Father, our hearts go out to our brothers and sisters in the countries we've mentioned, Lord. Nigeria, Lord, tonight. Tonight, there are people facing attacks in Nigeria because it's every day. Lord God, we just ask you to protect them. Just speak to them, Lord. Just, just show them when they should leave, when they should stay. Show them what they should do. May they be led by you and not by fear. We just speak courage to our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and in India and in Pakistan and in Iran and in China, Lord, we don't underestimate the cost, the price of such faithfulness. But Lord, you are a faithful God to us. And all our lives, Lord, you've been faithful. And in the words of that song, and all our lives, you're just so good. Mm -hmm. You've been so, so good. 
to us, Lord. And we know it doesn't end here. We have eternity with you to look forward to. Lord, you're a faithful God. And what does a faithful God require of his people? But they be a faithful, faith-filled, faithful people. Mm-hmm. And Lord, that's our prayer for them. And it's our prayer for us. Lord, we stand together. Father, teach the church in the West what it is to be joyful in faith, to count it all joy when we face various trials, Lord God. We, we, me, I moan a lot. Lord, help me, help us to count it all joy. Lord, because the working of our, the, the, the trials we go through produces perseverance in our lives. Father, if we have a lesson to learn in the West, it's to persevere in faith and to stay faithful under fire and under duress. That's the lesson we have to learn from our persecuted brothers and sisters. And Lord, all we can offer them is to put our arm around their shoulders in prayer. And I know, Lord, that when we do this, when we pray for them, Lord, you draw close because this is love in action. Mm-hmm. And the calling on our lives, Lord, is to love as you love. God is love and we are called to love as he loves. Greater love is no one than this. They lay down his life for his friend. Lord, we just want to stand with our friends and say, Father, please put your arm around the shoulder now. If each one who hears this is praying this, Lord, you're doing it, Lord, time and again, time and again, putting your arm around their shoulders, speak to them and guide them. Do they run or do they stay? What do they do, Lord? Speak to them so clearly that it's unmistakably your guidance as to what to do. Keep them strong in their faith. And Lord, we thank you for your word, which says to us all, and having done all, to stand. And Lord, may your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' amazing name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Andrew. Wow. Thank you. Uh, We're reminded again that God is in control. And, you know, I was, as you were talking you know, about the dreams and visions, and I've met, you know, many in my travels that have had that from Muslim backgrounds, especially Muslim backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I'd read a report recently, and uh, it's been pretty well verified uh, through some pretty credible sources that uh, many dozens of Muslims have had dreams and visions in Gaza in the midst of all mm-hmm. the bloodshed and all that's going on there. God is working, and uh, we continue to pray, of course, for the peace of Jerusalem for the nation of Israel. Uh, yeah. I have many, you know, Palestinian background friends. Uh, many of them have grown up, you know, in Christian homes or they've come to the Lord. They're facing a lot of challenges right now. So much turmoil in this world. Um, you know, all that's going on in, in Ukraine, uh, Sudan, uh, just so much happening in our world. And yet God is in control. And, uh, you know, people say, well, is when is he coming back? Is it soon? It's soon in terms of his, in terms of light of eternity. But I can't emphasize more that we can't just sit back and say, well, Jesus, hurry up and come. We pray that in, in many ways. But on the other hand, let's be faithful right until the end. So again, Andrew Boyd, thank you so much uh, for all the information you shared. And I and you don't share just information. I You share it from your heart. That's why I love having you on the podcast. So again, thank you for being with me today and, and happy new year to you, brother. 
Greg, it's a blessing. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's Amen. what we need to take hold of. Thank you for having me. Well, and I look forward to having you back. And uh, and as you're listening and watching this podcast, could I ask you to do me a favor? Could you rate it or share it with a friend, write a review? Uh, you know, we want people to be hearing what is happening around the world. We can watch the news every night, and I'm a bit of a news junkie. I like to know what's going on. But we need to know what God is doing and uh, raising up more support uh, for our brothers and sisters to help them, to be praying for them. So again, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching today. And again, thank you, Andrew Boyd. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire. <laughs>